Our reading today is from Philippians, the third verse, verses 8 through 12. And it reads, Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I have already attained or am already perfect, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Thank you. Thank you, Don. Good morning. Good to be together this morning. Good to have some visitors with us. We're glad that you are with us this morning. And uh, I pray that this message will be very edifying to you. And we built off of last week's lesson. And so we're going to take a look at what Brother Don has presented to us from what he has read from Philippians chapter 3, 8 through 12. The subject I want to look at this morning is overcoming sin through hope. When I go through the scriptures and I see something else that stands out to me about some struggles we might have in our own lives, the things that uh, distract us from the right priorities in our life, I see a change and I see certain scriptures. I want to bring them out. I want you to look at them. I want to study them together. And these are one of the things that has been jumping out to me. And I hope this will be encouraging and edifying to you. Again, based off of last week's as well. Last week we talked about uh, living a pure life and living in modesty and living in holiness. But how do you do that? What changes are there involved in that? And we've studied a lot of that. What goes on in our hearts that changes us as Christians and helps us to be more steadfast? Well, can hope of eternal life motivate Christians to live holy lives? Let's start with that question. Well, we got to think about that. In the ancient world back in Jesus' time, the Greeks and the Romans believed in the afterlife. They believed in a place called Elysium, a blissful place. They had a belief back then, if you lived as a good person, you would go to Elysium, to heaven, to a blissful place. That concept is common today. People say, I'm a good person. Good people go to heaven. Therefore, I'm going to heaven. And they'll often use that reasoning to exclude reading their Bible or praying. They'll use it to outright exclude the church and being a part of a congregation. They'll use it to exclude Jesus himself. And in the first century, that's what they had. I'm just going to live the way I want to. And when I die, my spirit will separate from my body, and that's it. Uh, The spirit will live in a bodiless state, and I'll live on in eternity in this great place because I'm a good person and good people go to die in this way. So when you start thinking about that, what about that belief is motivating? And sitting here this morning, we've known people who have fallen in their faith and struggled in sin, and they've had the conviction that if I'm a good person, then... I will go to heaven, and yet they will fail. They will rationalize. They will justify sin. They'll allow certain things in their life. So when we could just simply say, is the hope of eternal life, is that enough to uh, motivate someone to live a right life? 
I want to look at what the Scriptures have to say about that, because the Bible does tell us that eternal life does motivate us, but that eternal life that we have as Christians is not like the pagan world, and it's not like the world today, and the strange beliefs that they have, the things that are unbiblical, that, they, that many have just come up with and invented on their own, things that resemble Buddhism and other faiths, or Stoicism and ancient religions, or Gnosticism, uh, these ideas that once I die, that's it. I think another thing we need to add to this is when we start talking about this conversation, what we're asking is, what is the point of what Jesus did? Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. You know, you could argue, and some people think this way. In fact, there's some churches today that kind of jump over that third point that Jesus rose from the dead. And they do it like this. They say, Jesus died, and he was buried, and therefore his spirit separated and went up into paradise, and that's it. And they say, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to be a good person, try to follow after Jesus. And my hope is that when I die, I'll just do the same thing he did, go into heaven, and that's it. It stops right there. And you got to ask, your, you ask yourself the question, what is the purpose of Jesus rising from the dead? Why was it? Why did he do it? What motivation does it have for us in eternal life and living holy lives? Paul says it's everything to him. He says, this is the reason I count everything in the past that I gave up when I became a Christian. This is it. This is why I did it. Because of the hope of that eternal life that Jesus promised that he gave, that he was able to establish because he did die and death could not hold him and he rose from the dead. Today we're faced with a hopelessness throughout churches. Even on the churches of Christ, the hopelessness, a state of, well, a kind of hopelessness that essentially cuts out the end of the gospel. I don't know, there's a lot of churches out there that will talk about Jesus' death. They put a cross on the sign. It's their symbol on their website. And they don't want to talk about the burial. And the significance to us today, as we become Christians, we're buried with Christ. We're buried in baptism. And yet so many often cut off the other part, the resurrection of Jesus Christ as well. You ever wonder why those who essentially believe are sometimes and yet unfaithful? We know some people like that. Yeah, I believe. We, we think about James 2 and verse 19 where it says the demons believe, and yet we know that they're not saved, that they're condemned. Even the demons believe that there is one God, but that doesn't save them. There, we have to have a kind of faith that motivates us. And I think there's something missing from our faith. We say, I believe in God, and I believe in Jesus Christ, and I believe the gospel, the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. I believe it's of first importance. I believe it's the power of God to salvation, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. But something is missing there. Oh, I believe, but I'm hopeless. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we as Christians are not to grieve the way that the world grieves when someone dies. We don't grieve that way. We have a hope in it. And I believe many today have this faith, but it's not compelling and working in their life because that faith is missing hope. And that faith and hope is often missing love, love for God, love for their neighbor, that they'll keep God's commandments. The Bible says, Christ says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. John 14, 23 and 24. You ever wonder why those who essentially believe are often unfaithful? We see it today. We see people who bear the name of Christian or claim to be Christian who are unfaithful today. This week I was watching the news and the reports continue to come up that a close associate in the Catholic Church to the Vatican Got in a lot of trouble. If you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. This is a big, big scandal of what this individual was doing in his home, multiple people, and how wrong it was. And then you start reading about it, and there's no 
real consequence for this individual doing these things. How can someone say, I believe in Jesus, I believe in this, and they behave in that way? There is something missing there. And we're going to look at some scriptures about that this morning. Is the church struggling with hopelessness? When your belief is simply good people go to heaven and I'm a good person, you're going to have a lot of struggles. I think that is a state of hopelessness. There's no application. There's no part of Jesus in that. Where is he in the salvation process? Where is he in your faith? Think about that. What do you do in the, the faith that is the assurance of things hopeful? What do we do with it? So that's what Hebrews 11 and verse 1, it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. I have confidence in my God and my creator and what Jesus Christ has given to me. And that produces hope in me. In fact, when you go and you read throughout the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, you've got instance after instance, um, passage after passage telling examples of what it means to have faith. And that is they hope for eternal life. They hope for a heavenly country. Every single one of them hope for something more. And I encourage you this morning, what we want to do is to grow and to know the Bible more and what we are hoping for in eternal life. What does the Bible mean that Christians have a living hope? I want you to look at this this morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and look at what Peter says. I encourage you. We're going to have two of these readings right out of the Bible. Take a look at them. What does a living hope do for you? So throughout 1 Peter, here Peter is writing, he's demonstrating this hope that it is alive. And here's some points that I draw out. I want you to look at that we can see right here in the text. The Christian hope is in, in an imperishable inheritance. We're going to get a dwelling, a living in a heavenly country, a place that is a wonderful. In fact, in 2 Peter 3 and verse 13, Peter says this. He says that we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. We look forward to that inheritance. The book of Revelation, chapter 21, it says the old heaven and old earth passed away, but there will be a new heaven and a new earth that we look forward to. That, that's where paradise is. That's the hope of an imperishable inheritance. And it, he says it comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's a phrase he's going to use again in this text. Continue looking with me here. You're reading through it. Look at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. You'll see that. Because of this hope, Christians rejoice through various trials. He says we're able to rejoice. Who's able to rejoice through persecution? You remember Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he says we can rejoice in the face of persecution. Why? Because we have hope of having a part in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And brethren, as Christians, we need to have this same hope. You ever felt like you believe, but there's nothing else behind it, that you wake up every day and the trials and the things you're going through just pile up on you and they burden you and they pull you down. And you think, why is it that I'm a Christian? What am I doing wrong? Do I need to be praying more? Am I not living right? This may be the issue right here. It's the lack of this living hope. Because of this hope, Christians can rejoice through the trials and hardships in life. And we're going to talk more about that. Living hope produces obedience and holy living. So Peter goes through all through 1 Peter, and he, he demonstrates this. And he says it very clearly that if you hope and you believe, you're going to be obedient to God. I think that's fascinating. We're going to look at another scripture about that. The Christian hope is alive because Christ is alive. The Christian hope is alive because Jesus rose from the dead and he ascended. And we need to remember that. Look with me here. Here's part of that passage, 1 Peter 1, 3-5. Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy. He has caused us to be born again 
to a living hope. He's going to explain what it means to be born again. First Peter 3 and verse 21, it's through baptism. That's when we're born again. That is when it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what gives us a living hope. And it says it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And there you have it again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Revelation about this eternal place who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. When's that going to happen? In the last time, this hope, the inheritance is going to come on that very last day. As Christians, that should be a part of our motivation. You know, when I was growing up as a teenager, I sometimes heard people say, I want to store up all my treasures in heaven. Where do they get that from? Jesus. And all my hope is there. And I start thinking, well, why are we storing up treasures in heaven? I thought we weren't supposed to be selfish or, you know, trying to get gain from mammon. And again, those are spiritual blessings. It's something that God wants to give to us. Some have described it as Christian hedonism. That you as a Christian, you should want what God's promised to give you. He's put eternity in your hearts, according to Solomon. And you should desire that and want it. It should be a part of your motivation every day. When I wake up, I want what God has given to me. I want that inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. I want you to look at some other scriptures this morning. Faith has a lot to do, especially faith in the resurrection into eternal life has a lot to do, and it affects our behavior. Look at what the scriptures say. So I, I heard people today, and I've seen certain individuals who are saying, you know, I believe Jesus died, and I believe that he was buried, and I believe that he, Spirit, ascended into heaven. And they'll say, they'll call that the resurrection. They, they forget that Jesus actually, his spirit and body were reunited, and he came out of the tomb. Paul has to correct this in Corinth, because the Stoics and the people and the Greeks and the Romans, they hated that idea. They didn't like the idea of someone rising from the dead. They all look forward to just being your spirit separated from your body, and that's it. Paul has to say this, 1 Corinthians 15, 16 and 17, to that church. He says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. It's, that's a big deal. That's a huge thing. And all of 1 Corinthians 15 is about that. Paul talks about it. And you know about the church at Corinth and you've read 1 Corinthians. You know the problems they had, the divisions, the factions, the man living and fornication in the church, the, the struggles with sexual sins. Those who are disputing over whether to marry or not, those who are profaning the Lord's Supper, those who are making the assembly into a talent show, had all of these problems. Why are they having these problems? What is it about their faith? And Paul says this to them in 1 Corinthians 15, 32 and 34. He says, What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. If there's no hope of eternal life, what's the point? Why don't you be following Christ? And he's pointing out to these, these, these Christians here, this is your problem. This is why you're not living a moral life. This is why we might be, if you might be sitting here this morning struggling with a certain sin, it may go back to this faith and hope in the resurrection of eternal life that you don't really believe it or you never really thought about it. You never really contemplated it and listened to it. And Paul says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. This is what he says. He, he urges them, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Evidently, there are people coming in, in, into Corinth 
And they were deceiving this church, this congregation. False teachers trying to split it and break it apart. Second Corinthians, you read more about these false apostles. He says, this is the bad company. And you know this. You've ever had a friend or somebody who said, you need to you can come do this with me, spend time with me, engage in some place you know you shouldn't be going. He says, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor. He also, Paul says this to the Thessalonians, very similar message that we'll look at tonight. He says, wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning. He says, because you've lost this belief and you've lost this faith, this is why you struggle with sin. This is why you're struggling in whatever area it is with pride or lying or whatever it might be, slandering others. He says, for some have no knowledge of God and I say this to your shame. You know this. This is the gospel that was first preached to you, that, that saved you, that's of first importance. That's how Paul started the chapter out. And then he says to them, why is it some of you don't believe this? Why is it that some of you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead? Or you're undermining it by the fact that you don't believe on the final day that there will be a resurrection. Listen to what John says. So Paul says it and Peter said it. We've heard them. Listen to what John says as he's guided by the Holy Spirit. He talks about the hope that we have in one day being glorified. Paul said in Philippians 3 and verse 21, he says that on that last day, we'll receive a glorified body, that our bodies will be transformed. 1 John chapter 3, 2 through 3, John says, Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet appeared. Yet we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. That is when Christ comes back, we're going to be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You hear what John's saying there? He's saying, because we believe that Christ is going to come back one day and that whether we're alive or we die, we believe that our bodies will be transformed, that the perishable, the only perishable part of us is not the spirit, it's the body. It will put on the imperishable, the mortal body will put on immortality, 1 Corinthians 15, 53. He says, this is what gives us hope. And it's this hope that motivates us to live a pure life, a life that puts away sin, that in the face of temptation says, no, I know what Christ has done for me, and I will not shame him. I will not turn my back on him. My faith and my hope and my love are in him. I will purify myself. I will put away those sins. I will put away those things that are around me. If it's friends that are causing me to struggle, those, that corrupt company, I'm going to have to put those friends away and no longer be around them. If it's what it's on TV or on the internet, I'm going to put it away. If it's the books that I'm reading, if it's the classes that I'm taking, whatever it might be that's trying to distort me, I am going to follow Christ. And we want to have this hope. I encourage you this morning that you have that same conviction. And if you're struggling with sin in your life, think about this. I have faith, but do I have hope? Paul reasoned from the resurrection for the holiness of the body. He said, one day you're going to rise. You need to live a holy life. You need to respect your body. You can't just do anything with your body. And the people back then, the Greeks and Romans, thought like that. They said, it doesn't matter what I do with my body. I do whatever I want to, live however I want to, sleep with whoever I want to, put whatever kind of tattoo I want on my body. It doesn't matter what it says. I can put whatever lack of clothing on my body or cover myself in gold and pearls and, you know, and boast of myself. And the Bible says, that's not what God gave your body for. Your body as a Christian is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit made you pure and he washed away your sins and he sanctified you when you were baptized. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. And then just a few verses after this, this is what Paul says. A body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord 
and the Lord for the body. God gave us the body, not for us to say, I can do whatever I want to. It doesn't matter. I can smoke, drink. I can do whatever I want to and run my body down with drugs or whatever else. Live in sexual immorality. And Paul says, no, God gave you the body. You follow him. And then it says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. He says, by this hope, by the hope of the resurrection, you need to live a right life. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? He says, never, never. I ask you, how do people reason about their body today? I hear the same thing. You hear the same thing? I'll put on whatever I want to put on. I'll live however I want to live. I'll watch whatever I want to watch. Eat whatever I want to eat. I'll go and do whatever I want to do. I, I, I. Making up my own standard. Even if they claim, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I think he'll wash away all my sins, even though they continue to live like that. They've forgotten what Christ has done for them. We need that hope. Don read this passage for us this morning. I'm going to read a little bit more. You have Philippians. You have your Bible. Open up Philippians chapter 3. I want you to look at this. This is how the hope of eternal life changed the Apostle Paul. And I could read you a number of other scriptures because it's throughout the New Testament everywhere. What Christ did, how he gives us eternal life, how it changes us. Here it is. Paul says, Philippians 3, verses 8 and following. It says, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So Paul points out, and if you back up a little bit, he says, he says here, I had all these things. He said, you know, I, I was of circumcision, I had all these things I could boast in. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I could have confidence in my own flesh. I was of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I was zealous. I was a, a persecutor of the church and essentially righteous under the law and blameless, he claims. He says, but I gave all that up. I gave all that up for Christ. And keep reading why he does that. In verse 9, he says, And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own. I don't make up my own way. I follow his way. That, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. How do you become like Christ in his death? The Bible tells us over and over again. You put all those things away. You repent of your sins, all those temptations, everything that has pulled you away from Christ, you put an end to it. And you bury that old man and you rise up in the newness of Christ. That's what Paul did. This is becoming like him in his death. He says that by all means, he says that I may know his power and may share of his sufferings and becoming like him in his death. And that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. That was his goal. I want to attain the resurrection of the dead. Look at verse 12. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. Not that I've, I've had it all. It's all I've been accomplished yet. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. All of that, he's saying that goal is the resurrection of the dead that Christ gives us. Look in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. 
If and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. In other words, don't give up on eternal life. Don't give up what God has given to you through what Christ has done. Some observations here again. Paul gave up everything, counted all things as lost to know Christ. He gave up all things to know the power of Christ's resurrection and the eternal life that comes through it. And he forgot the past and he strained forward so he would attain the upward call of God, that is the resurrection from the dead. I want to bring you back before we conclude this morning to Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter again talking about the living hope. He says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action. Notice this. This is what happens when you have a living hope. You prepare your minds for action, being sober-minded. He says, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That grace, that gift that comes from God of eternal life. When Christ comes back, that's when we all receive it, on that final day of judgment. Some people have often wondered about that. Why is there a judgment day? If we die and we go into heaven, isn't that it? Well, because there's a resurrection coming, he emphasizes when Christ comes back, the bodies will rise. He says, As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he has called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. He's saying because of this hope, you need to be holy. Be holy like God. Live a holy life. The Christian hope, and so this is what I see right here in the text. It's fully set on grace. It's obedient. It does not conform to passions. It is holy in conduct. It's for that reason that Peter goes on here and he concludes this. 1 Peter chapter 1, 22-23. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. And this morning, because of what Christ did through the gospel, it should give us hope. It should give us the kind of hope that we can overcome sin. And I could go on this morning and go to other scriptures like Colossians 2 and Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 8 and show you the same thing over again, that that hope, will help you to save you and put an end to whatever you're struggling with. I ask you this morning, are you struggling with sins that result in hopelessness? You ever found yourself going through life and saying, I don't really think, I don't pray much, I'm not reading my Bible as I should, I'm not thinking about God's Word, I'm not thinking about what Christ has done for me, and I'm certainly not thinking about sharing the truth with others. Hope will change that. Is the missing part of your faith knowing the hope of eternal life? It may be this morning. I encourage you to read your Bible more, study. Go, go read the last two chapters of Revelation, last three chapters. I'd start in Revelation 20. And look at those passages again. And let them encourage you. I ask you this morning, are you willing to count all things as lost to know the power of Christ's resurrection? That should be our goal. How can you increase your faith? How can you increase your hope? Read, study. Sometimes we, we read and those scriptures will go away. Think about them. Share the gospel with others. Think about how you would tell others about eternal life and what Jesus accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. If you can't explain that, you need to re-examine yourself. What is your faith really in? Where is your hope truly? How do I really love God if I can't explain the gospel and what Christ accomplished through it? Increase your hope. Contemplate God's word. Give careful attention to the scriptures. That's your challenge for this week. 
I encourage you as Christians, we want to be devoted, grow, serve, and share. Continue to grow. This morning, if you are struggling, you've lost that living hope, the Bible talks about us being born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what Peter said. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But listen to this. Baptism that saves us is through the resurrection of Christ. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 21. It says, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not the removal of dirt from the, from the body. It's not just getting the water. And it's more, he says, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This morning, you can appeal to God and come to him and say, God, I want all my sins washed away. I want to put off the old life. I put my hope, my focus, my goal on the upward call that you promised to give me. And I want to die and count all things as lost. I want to be conformed to your death, be buried in the waters of baptism, and rise up in the newness of life. This morning, if you want to obey that gospel, do it. I know there are others here this morning that you may need prayers and encouragement. And maybe there's something that has not been announced this morning or your prayer request has not been mentioned. We want to pray with you. If you have something we can pray with you for, we encourage you to come right now. Please come while we stand and while we sing.